time where the phone never stops ringing. Cold calls and spam emails seem to pour in endlessly. And there is always someone that wants to buy you lunch for the chance to make you a client. This is where real salespeople pitch solutions to real problems while we snuff out the BS. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast with your host, Voron Spivak. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. Before we get started, I want to send a shout out to Churrasco's Restaurant. If you haven't been to Churrasco's here in Houston, you need to check it out. It's a great, great place to go. They have amazing family four-packs that you can find online if you're stranded at home. Check them out, churrasco's.com. Today, my guest is Michael Rager from Teach Your Business to Fish. Now, I'm imagining right now, Mike, that... <laughs> Is it really going to be a whole episode of like fish metaphors relating to business and this is the drill today? Only if you're lucky. <laughs> you know, it's like I had to ask you that on purpose. Like, I don't know how bad this oh. is going to get. I don't know how bad this is going to get, but I'm going to try to play along. Okay. I'm going to try to play along. Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can do that. I'm pretty sure between the two of us, we can make it very entertaining. <laughs> you know, before we kick this thing off, you and I talked the other day and something that has already resonated in different conversations that I've had is that your business is all about business owners, executives, meeting you, learning something new, learning how to make their business more money, be more efficient. And this is where I'm going with this. It's not always in sales. Like really something that you told me that's very interesting is that operations is where it's at. Oh yeah, it's it's funny. It's, you know, just earlier today, I did a ninety-minute webinar on understanding your P and L, and how to actually grow your business because of you know just understanding your numbers. You know, looking at those smaller businesses, you know, those under the the ten million, a lot of these guys haven't talked to a CFO or a fractional CFO, and so they don't know how that happens. There's easy ways to go in and actually increase your numbers. There's something we use called the six cylinders of business and. One of my mentors taught me, he called it the 555 rule. And he says, if we can increase revenue 5%, decrease our COGS, cost of goods sold 5%, decrease our fixed costs 5%, it's almost a 35% increase in net profit. Who doesn't want 35%? This is such a fascinating subject. I mean, there's actually a lot of information you're going to share that will help people just in this pitch. Who really needs to be really tuned in to what they're about to learn? I'm going to say if you're a newer business owner, you've been in business probably less than five years, you know, your first business at your own, you're starting to grow, you want to go there. Maybe if you're actually thinking of exiting your business, you know, one of the things I find out is so few business owners have actually thought of a good exit strategy. So if you're thinking one day you might sell your business, you need to be listening. Everything we're going to tell you is how to grow your business the right way so it turns into a profitable asset not just a darn job. All right, Mike. Well, let's get this thing started. Teach your business to fish. Tell me all about it. Well, I just want to make sure you understand that why I'm the right person to listen to. You know, I've got a master's degree in trout biology. That right there qualifies me to be <laughs> the best business coach out there. But, you know, I've done a few things. You know, I own two companies right now. I own Teach Your Business to Fish. I know my parent company is really a company called Corporate Memory Solutions where we really look at operational procedures of companies and why they operate the way they do. If any of your listeners are familiar with a guy named John Maxwell, if you're not, just go to Google and Google in Leadership Guru. John comes up. I'm a founding partner and an executive director of the John Maxwell team. 
It's a company that he put together to kind of let his legacy go on. And we really teach a lot of organizational leadership. You know, that's a big strength of mine. It's really funny is very few business owners go to bed and worry about being a better leader. They worry about making more money, but the way to make more money is to be a better leader. And so that brings me up to this thing. When it comes to leadership, it's like you hear people say lead from the front. Some say lead from behind. Some people say all a CEO has to do is choose what direction to go and tell their team. I mean, this is something that I see it time and time again. You hear it everywhere. Culture is everything. But you can't have culture if you don't have leadership. You know, culture will, will grow everything and you need to have it. And, you know, what I love about John is, when he was teaching and when he's teaching me, his definition of leadership is very, very easy. It's leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Mm-hmm. It's all about influence. And as you as the leader of the company, you've got to make sure you've got the influence. You know, you're going to have guys around the water cooler saying bad stuff that have influence. And they could be leading your department, not the way you want to. So you've got to make sure as a leader, you're standing up. And Here's what I really see. People, when they work for a company, want to understand, number one, what do they need to do? And number two, how do they do it? Don't expect me to understand exactly how. And number three, especially now that we get a younger workforce coming in, they want to understand why. Mm. Why are we doing it? And it's usually why for the bigger, greater good. And these are the things, you know, is, is we've got some older companies. You know, I spent 25 years in oil and gas, and I heard the damn millennials a lot towards the end of my career, they're coming no matter what. And good leaders need to figure out how to bring them in and how to, how to educate them and how to get them to lead. And that's going to be very important as they grow their business. Just like you hear people talk about the love languages, right? I mean, mm-hmm. generationally, there is a language that speaks to any of us, depending on kind of when we were born, you know, like for mm-hmm. an example, I'm born in the seventies. So I remember typing class, right? So I yep. can relate to that. I remember having to walk a resume somewhere. But if you were born at a certain point, you could actually shop your whole life. You could actually shop for jobs in foreign countries. You could do things a different way. And so what you're saying is that leaders right now need to learn how to get the message from wherever they are to these amazing people that are working for them in a way that they can accept and also in a way that clearly defines what they're wanting to do. Oh, exactly. I think that's it because they want to understand a big thing, especially with younger people is why. You know, I sit there, I fight. I got a nine-year-old, you know, I'm this 54-year-old guy with a nine-year-old and I argue with my kids' teachers on why are you teaching him cursive and making sure he can get there. And I, I know there's ladies and I know that I, I coach it and they get mad at me. Well, it's artistic, it's this and that. I said, but it's essentially dead, you know, it's dead. Why are we wasting time to teach him on it? There's other things, you know, let's get more into music. Let's get more into math. Let's get more into science, you know, and teach those kids because these kids can learn stuff and, you know, we just got to be able to to move that information around. It's amazing what young people can do. So where does the whole teacher business to fish come in? Because if it's not sales, you know, it's just kind of like, that's the thing we all want to go to. Let's make more money and that'll solve all the problems, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what you're saying. Not all of it. Trust me, sales is a big, big part of it. You know, I come from the oil and gas background and I know when we met and through Mark, I spent 25 years in oil and gas. I ran major construction projects from the environmental compliance side. You know, like I said, I'm really a trout biologist. But when we start looking at things, my analogy, one of the things I use is if you don't know your fish, you can't get rich. 
And what I'm saying there with business is if, if you don't know exactly what you're trying to do, who you're trying to catch, you can't be good at it. You know, I met with an engineering firm the other day and we we're talking to them. There are six engineers and all over the country, some of them in South America. And you go to their website and they do 75 different things. And I'm like, dude, you can't do 75 different things. They're like, oh, we're engineers. We're smart. And I'm like, bullshit. I'm sorry. You can't. You are not that good at it. What's the one or two things that you guys are experts at? Let's figure that out and let's go push it in and make it happen. And one of the analogies I use is, look, we'll catch other fish as we do that. Are you familiar how they fish for sailfish in Florida? No, I mean, I haven't experienced that. Okay. So when we go sailfishing for Florida, we use kites, right? So we get these big boat, you know, those big white yachts, and they got the big tuna towers on it. And what we do is we put these kites off the back, and these kites go up. And they hang the bait and the bait sits at the top of the water and it splashes like crazy and catches in. They just goes in and out of the water, just making a ton of noise. Wow. Well, these, these sailfish will come up and they really, really key in on that. But guess what? Also, mahi, mahi and yellowfin tuna like it. So if I'm a business owner and I'm fishing for sailfish and a mahi, mahi and a, self, and a yellowfin tuna come along, am I going to not take that client? No, I'm going to take it. But if I'm going to spend my marketing dollars... I'm going to spend my marketing dollars on selfish. Makes sense. Like, totally, totally makes it. sense because you see everybody doing this, right? They want to bring a client in and show them like a hundred spokes to a giant wheel of like what yep. they're going to do. Yeah. It's just quit it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, just, just quit it. You know, because one of the trips I do when I take teams to Florida, you know, we hear from teams all the time. I'm not exactly sure what leadership's talking about. You know, I don't know which direction they're going. And if you've ever seen those boats, like I said, they got these big tuna towers and they go way up. And what I do is I send the managers, the mid-level managers up there and say, okay, now you see everything. Okay, these kites, when they go, they're 50 yards up each side of the boat. So we're covering 100 yards. And now you got to think of this as a CEO. The CEO is looking at everything going on and he's got to make decisions because when sailfish come into these kites, they'll come in five or six at a time. And they're going, there's, we're usually got six or seven, eight baits out there. And now the captain has to communicate down to the people in the cockpit who can't see what he sees and tell them what to do to be successful. That's what a CEO has to do. So a CEO on that leadership side has to figure out how to communicate very effectively. And his people down there need to trust him enough that they're going to put him in the right position to capitalize on the fish that are coming in. I mean, that's a huge teaching point when we're out there fishing. Yeah, that is. That is. And it's interesting to hear like that because it puts it in a way that you really understand it because it really is a real life metaphor. I mean, that really is a perfect parallel to what we all do in business. You look at what's going on right now. You know, we're, as we're talking today, what happened to oil two days ago? Can you imagine being a CEO going, oh my God, what the hell do I do now? Hopefully they saw some things coming in you know, they use their gear, their radar and stuff like that, their fish finder to mm. gather information. I'm sure they had some information that things were happening. You know, yeah. the good ones do, the bad ones react, you know, they react slow and, and afterwards. And those are the types of things when I take people on trips and I get groups out on trips, we start looking at it. Like, How are you doing this? And why are you doing it? You know? It's incredible. Yeah. So on this slide, I mean, I didn't realize you've been doing this 25 years. You've been on the project and construction management side of oil and gas. Yeah, I was right out of school. I'm familiar with FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I was one of the first five environmental inspectors ever required by FERC on a project. 
Wow. And I did it. Like I said, I did it for 25 years straight. I got on and off, you know, my partner and I, we had a inspection firm, environmental inspection firm, and we sold it to a engineering firm that was actually out of Boston. And they opened an office here in Pearland, Texas. And I helped them with that office. And it was, we got here about nine months before Enron happened, you know? So good timing for us to sell, a little bit of bad timing for them to buy us. But, you know, I've started my two companies. I've helped two other companies get sold. So I understand a lot of what's going on in business and looking at it. So one of the things I want to do, I'm going to go to my next slide here, Warren. I want to talk about the six cylinders. I talked to you about the six cylinders of business. And what I look at is I'm a big fan. There's a book by a guy named John Warlow called Built to Sell. And I tell all my business owners, you need to have a strategy. And the first part needs to be long term. You have to understand what your end game is, no matter what. And I tell people, if you build a business that becomes a sellable asset, it's going to be in the right position no matter what you need to do. Because often business owners are forced to sell because something happens before they actually want to. Mm. And what happens is, is they go to a business broker, they go to somebody and they say, well, I need to sell my business now. And they'll start getting bids and the bids are way lower than they think they're going to be. Well, it's because the, all these six cylinders aren't in place. You know, so we've got to have an end game. We got to have an end game. And then from the end game, we break it up into the 90 day chunks on things we need to do to take us to that end game. You know, I think that's the most important thing with business owners is understand my long-term strategy. And then let's start putting together, you know, small little things that we can work on. Most businesses can only work on two to three things, four max a quarter. You know, until, you know, smaller size businesses, we're not talking about the big Exxon's, Enron's, you know, Chevron's, that's different. But, you know, Joe's drilling service or, you know, Bob's engineering firm, there's only certain things they can work on strategy wise to grow that business because they still actually have to work. You know, there's a big difference of working in the business and working on the business and we need to get them there and we need to show them. So after we help them with strategy, we start looking at sales and marketing. You know, sales and marketing is important. If you're an established business, it's much harder to increase profit margins through marketing than it is through operations. But that's a whole nother discussion. But this just goes into you have to understand who your clients are. Like I talked about the selfish. You know, I talk about it. One of my, my little featured talks I go into is called Fishing with Hot Dogs. <laughs> and I'll do this. I go to a lot of networking events and I'll see a lot of young kids out there. You know, they'll be in real estate or they'll be in insurance or they'll be financial advisors. And the first question I ask them is, well, who's your client? And what do you think their answer is? Anybody like, buying a house? Anybody who's got money? Yes. And my answer, that's bullshit. That's not your client. Because it can't be. Yeah. You've got to understand exactly who you're fishing for. And so I say, you're fishing with hot dogs. All right? And my analogy is, this was when I was a little kid, I was like eight or nine, just like my son. I lived just outside of Detroit, Michigan, a small town called Algonac. And my dad was a cop and nobody... Nobody in my family fished at all, but I had a really good parents and, you know, they bought me fishing gear and they bought me hooks and lines and sinkers and bobbers. And the first time we were going, we had this really nice bayliner boat. We were going to this place called Metro Beach and we were going to stay for the weekend. I told my mom, I said, hey, look, we need to go get some worms because I'm going to do some fishing. And my mom looked at me and she's like, there ain't no way in hell you're bringing worms on my nice, clean white boat. And I'm like, well, what am I going to fish with? And she goes, hot dogs. So, you know, as a good little nine-year-old, what did I do? I Got fished with hot dogs. Yeah. Did I catch fish? 
Maybe a catfish? I don't know. I did. I caught, I caught catfish and I caught carp and I caught bullhead and I caught suckers and I caught a couple bluegills. I did catch a couple bluegills. And that's what these people are doing. They don't know who they want to catch and they throw anything out there trying to get who they want. They call it fishing with a net. And it's like bullshit. You're just trying to catch people and these people are not the people you really want as your customers because they waste your time and they do things that you just don't need to be doing. Well, when I was about 12, my grandparents took me to this place called Ludington, which was up on Lake Michigan, Northern Lake Michigan. My grandfather knew that I loved fish and there was a marina there and he took me and there's all these boats that were salmon fishing and they're coming with all the salmon. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I just got so excited. And I started learning about salmon fishing and, you know, I got to go my first time and I learned about, about salmon fishing and, you know, my background, my specialty is trout and salmon. But when you look at trout and salmon, when they live them in the Great Lakes, live in a very specific spot, all right? They live between about 58 and 70 degree water, all right? The Great Lakes average 300 feet deep. And that water temperature moves up and down all the time. So when we fish for salmon on the Great Lakes, we use things called downriggers. And downriggers is a big ball. It goes down. It puts a lure right behind it. We control at 60 feet, 70 feet, wherever we need that lure to be. And we put it exactly where we need it to be. But do you think I was fishing down there with 70 feet with hot dogs? No. No. Okay, so let me recap just these two. I know we got six, but I want to do this because I just want to tell you what I'm hearing to clarify. Mm -hmm. There's the long term, which is you need to build the best damn company you can because this idea that you're going to build a company to sell it, it really is not, in my opinion, it's not the right philosophy. And what you're saying is that long-term gain takes care of that because you're going... Let's build the most aggressive, profitable company that can exist because that's going to take care of the sell idea, right? Yeah. If we want to sell it, if we want to give it to our kids, we want to exactly. do anything, it's set. Okay. So that's on the strategy side, long-term. And then of course you got the short-term because you've got to have an agenda of what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Then from a sales and marketing point, what you're saying is you're saying when you meet these clients that you're consulting, you're digging into the niches of where they make money, right? You want to make money where you can make money. And secondly, knowing the terminology of who you're selling to. And I, mm -hmm. in your world, in the oil and gas, once you get those niches, now you know how to design the strategy because of what you're now, everyone's got a new target. They know what fish they're wanting to fry. Right. You're right on point. Exactly. Because like, have you ever seen any marketing that engineering firms have put together? It is like some of the worst marketing materials ever. Yeah. I do see this all the time. This is why, you know, in my world of insurance, I think I've had a very easy time because I feel like everybody's a generalist. Everybody wants to, to me, it's like, if you know your products and what you're doing for the client, well, now you can figure out where to do it the best and who is the biggest and best that you can work with as opposed to being somebody who can not only do what you do every day, but now you're going to add changing tires for people and being a travel agent and everything else, you know, and, and these engineering firms and a lot of these professional groups, that's slide number two for them is to show you the big, all the spokes yep. and all the professional services that they do. And by the time they get through slide two, you're exhausted. Yeah. You don't even want to talk to them anymore. You don't <laughs> want to listen anymore. All right. Well, let's keep going. I love this because Number one, I haven't been fishing like to the level that you're talking about. It sounds fun. I'm going to take you up on the idea that I'm going to go damn on a boat with you. But I also think that just as a business professional, this resonates well. 
it's just easy, you know, because when you're there, like you just said, if you don't know who I'm trying to fish for, I don't know how to sell to them. An eye doctor wants to be sold a certain way. You know, an engineer needs to be sold a certain way. We do some what's called personality profiling. I use DISC because it's really easy because I'm not very smart either. And I want to teach the easiest thing I can teach. We can go from there. But after we get the sales and marketing down, we want to really look at operations because operations, you know, it's really the key to profit improvement. The more streamlined you can become, the more money we can make. It doesn't mean we need less people. We need people doing the right thing at the right place at the right time. There's a guy named Jim Collins who wrote a book called Good to Great. And the big thing in that book was, you know, you got to look at your business as a bus. You got this big bus and you got people on it. Well, you've got to make sure you got the right people on the bus, but you also got to make sure they're sitting in the right seat, doing the right thing. And a lot of times at businesses, especially small businesses, we got people in the wrong seat doing the wrong thing. And if we can figure out how to get people in the right place doing the right things, and then having them help us get efficient. You know, there was a book, I can't remember the name of it, but it was by a Navy captain. And he took over one of the worst ships in the fleet. And he talked about, you know, instead of coming in here and being this really aggressive leader and saying, you're going to do things my way. He took the time to say, look, we're very inefficient. We're not doing this well. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go down and talk to my people. And so he started talking to the guys in the engine room and he started talking to the guys in the galley and he started talking to the guys here and there and he let them lead and they knew what needed to be done to become more efficient. And in your business, that happens too. Your people know what needs to be done. Now it's whether you listen to them or not. True. Very true. Unarguably true. You know, as a leader, a lot of times it's decide when not to lead, you know, and I was taught that when somebody does something 70% as well as you give it to them because they'll end up in the long run doing it better than you because they've got a whole different perspective on the system than you do because they got different things to lead to where they are now, mm-hmm. you know? And so we, we need to go, they'll look at things different. You look at a millennial versus a Gen Xer, they look at things different and how they solve problems is different. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just different you know, and they need to go there. Well, the next thing is, again, people, is you've got to understand you got the right people. You know, I teach my clients not to go the old-fashioned way of your customer is always right. Start getting in there. Your people are always right. You've got to go build your people up because if you go build your people up, they'll take care of your customer in the right way. You know, they really will, and you need to look at them because your customer is there to cut you out of profits, you know, And I remember I was at a big engineering firm here in town. It was the last real corporate gig I had. And we had one of the major pipeline companies would come to us about every four or five months and ask us to cut our prices 5%. And I'm like, no, I mean, that's like stupid. I sat in there with that, you know, we were a publicly traded firm and I sat in these board meetings. I'm like, you guys are idiots. I said, we got another pipeline company that we just helped. They had a major spill. And they did some really bad stuff and we helped with the PR and we helped clean it up and they were paying us way more money. And I'm like, well, why don't you listen to us, your people? We don't want to work for that company. They treat us like crap. They demand us to do all this stuff that we don't really want to do. And then they want to not pay us. Why don't we go work for the other company? Yeah. You know, they wanted to pay us more, but you know, there's sometimes that companies, especially when you get to big publicly traded companies, it was more about revenue 
than it was. No, I think, I think in my opinion, people are the most important part of any company. You know, it's the people who are coming to work and I've heard this before, if they're thriving and loving what they do and they're in the roles that their feedback counts, Mm -hmm. that is all the difference. And so sometimes the right people I would imagine are the people that feel comfortable to give the leadership the feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the old spicy Cheeto story, right? I mean, mm-hmm. here it is. Everybody's making Cheetos, right? And there's all these off market, but it's not until you throw in some caliente powder, right? <laughs> that you have this new product. And where did it come from? It came from the janitor. It mm-hmm. came from the janitor at Frito-Lay or wherever, you know? And so it's almost like the more you have people that can give feedback and you have them in the right roles, that janitor suddenly can become executive management just because of the way they think. They can. And I see it all the time. You know, I've got a friend of mine, she runs a healthcare agency out in North Carolina. And when she took over, they were about $8 million in the hole. And I mean, it was just bad situation. And she started an organizational leadership training. Where do you think she started? The top or the bottom of the company? Jeez the bottom. What she started doing was she used John Maxwell's book, The 21 Laws of Leadership, and she started training the people that came in contact with their customers. So the janitors, the front desk nurse, the lowest paid people, she started training them to become leaders. And what happened was, as they started rising up, other people started going, hey, I'm not buying into this bull crap. Mm. And they left. And then what happened? The next person that came in was higher up on the leadership level. And it kept raising that lower level. And there was a lady, Tammy, that worked for her. Tammy was the front desk person when she started at this company. The last time I worked with them was about two years ago. Tammy was the CFO. So she went from front desk to chief financial officer. And then she left to go to a major hospital system at Duke. You got to train the right people. And the doctors were like, what the hell's going on? You know, and when are you going to train us? And she goes, well, you'll you'll get trained. But she ended up putting the janitor and the front desk person as the one that trained the doctors on how to be leaders. It's incredible. That's the thing. You can always train certain things, but character and personality and Mm -hmm. care. I mean, those are really some of the most valuable qualities you want in the people that are working for your company. Oh, you do. You just got to. You got to get there. And it's important. You know, the next thing we looked at systems, you know, systems are a roadmap for growth. They're making sure things are duplicatable. I mean, when I talked about my other business, corporate memory solutions, what we did and we do is we go into companies and we find out how the most successful people work and what makes them tick and how do they do things? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be 55 this year. And when I was 25, the first time I went to work for a company, I was given an employee manual that was about that thick. All right. I didn't want to read it then. (laughs) What the hell does companies think that millennials want to read that for? That's what they're giving them to teach them. That's a system. Here, read this thing. They're like, the hell? You're right. And so what we did is we went in and we worked with a software company and we developed a way to do these operational maps to show how work flowed between people. And we integrated video and we integrated, you know, testing within the video to make sure people understood it. And they were able to give their feedback on it as it grew. Yes. And, and things like that. And we were able to do things like that. And it goes, you know, I know a lady that runs a series of emergency clinics around here. I would always ask her, I'd say, hey, you know, what's going on in your clinic? You know, I don't want to use names. People might know her. 
I said, what's the worst thing in your clinic? And she goes, them and they. I go, what do you mean them and they? She goes, well, I go into the clinic and I see people doing stuff and I know they're not reading my operational manual. And I said, well, who taught you to do that? Well, they did. I saw them do it. And I asked her and I said, well, who wrote the systems and processes? She goes, I did. I'm smarter than anybody here. And I go, you didn't ask for input for your people? And she said, no. And I said, you know, if you go ahead and change this, rewrite your procedures, do something different, bring it to video and stuff like that, and let your people do it, they'll own it. And they'll make sure people do it right. No, it's so true. Like today, I, I mean, even just the way a sense of humor gets communicated, you know, like when a lot of people grew up, they call them dad jokes now, but it's like a setup and a punchline, right? Yeah. Well, as the father of a few teenagers, I'm telling you right now, the way sense of humors get exposed now it's like what's the meme you know like mm-hmm. what's the visual the audio visual quickest way to get to the point and who's to say that's not better you know who's to say it's not better you know it's what businesses have is they've got the seven deadly words and i'm telling you the oil and gas industry when i was in it, it's there that's the way we've always done it yeah. and you know mark liqueur and i we had a discussion once about that and we were talking about it and he goes well oil and gas is really interesting he said because they got to worry about people dying. You know, they did some stuff that's pretty, and, and that's the way to do it. And he goes, but it really does stifle growth and productivity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are ways to do it. But I think as the industry gets younger, we're going to see more and more technology come in and change. That's the way we've always done it. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it in a, in a lot of, lot of areas. You know, there's a book that I read. It's called Flash Foresight. And it talks about the changes that's going on in healthcare right now because healthcare doesn't want Tesla to develop a self-driving car because what Mm. it does is it's going to take away the need for emergency rooms because it's eventually going to lower accidents. And it's a shift, it's a hurt on their bottom line. But this book is all talking about how as semiconductors get better and faster, how the need for certain things are going to go away. It's a really interesting book that business owners should be looking at. I talked about looking at your radar in the future, start looking at some of these things that may be coming so you can be the leader in it. The last thing is finance. And I'm telling people is business finance is not accounting. If you're a small business owner, you need to not run your business to not pay taxes. Of course, we want to pay the least amount of taxes as possible. But what happens is, is you got to look and get with your CPA and understand, once you understand the long-term strategy there's certain accounting things that you need to do. Because right now, you know, we're in this coronavirus thing or coming out of these people, there's businesses right now that are going asking for loans. And what's happening, a lot of them are getting rejected right now because they don't make any money because they ran their other business to not pay taxes. So they hit it all. And what they've had to do is they had to do something called restructuring of financials and that costs them money. So now we got to go take their accountant to go undo everything to really show that they made money, that that Mercedes that they're driving, you know, really isn't a company car, you know, and undo these things so they can go in and do it. And sometimes you may have to pay a little bit more tax, but when it's time to grow in the long run, you got to be able to show you got a business that's profitable. Yeah. Like I would think that, I mean, on this finance portion, it's like, yeah, you know, part of growing your business is being able to leverage all of the wonderful things that the universe has for you financially, these tools to take that revenue and be able to expand and borrow money. And hey, if it means you got to pay, 
you know, dollars $200,000 in taxes to know you can expand your business by a million bucks. If I was in a casino in Vegas, I think I would do it. You got to look at it. You got to be able to know your options. And that's why it's always good to have good people in your corner. You know, I always make sure my clients, they've got a couple good people. They've got a good CPA, they've got a good lawyer, and they got a good banker. And, you know, they're the ones that are really, we work with them as a team to achieve all of this. You know, if we can really achieve all this, it's a really helpful thing. So here's the thing about this six cylinders, right? Is that as I look at this, whether you think you have them or not, you've got all these six cylinders. Your engine might be a crap engine, but mm-hmm. diagnosing which cylinder is your weakest link, or maybe you have, you know, maybe there's a number of these that you have to work on. It's not until you analyze what you have that you can really know how to get to where you're going or where you're wanting to go. Exactly. Exactly. I got something that I send to my potential customers because a business health check and it asks them four or five questions on each of these cylinders to try to answer them honestly. Then I know as a consultant, as a coach on where I can go and where we need to start working. It's where they think they are. And then I really got to come back and look at it and say, okay, this is where you think you are, but you're really here. And these are the things that we really got to work on to move you in the direction you want to go. Well, this is great. I think this does capture a lot. I know that the operations part is something that you're a big advocate for, but sure thing. I mean, the takeaway here is you got to look under the hood and you got to look at these components. And even if you're making $10 million a year in revenue, you could very well have a shit engine. <laughs> and, and it could be way better if you just make a few adjustments. I got a client right now that's doing over $2 million. They're small business. They're doing $2 million in revenue with no sales and marketing. Wow. Okay? What have, but the thing is, their profit margins are crap. So if we go ahead and we got to go in and look at the finance side, look at the PL statement, we're in the process right now of fixing their financials. But I asked their operation manager, I said, hey, what happens if I bring you 25% more business? He looked at me and he goes, there's no way we can handle it. Wow. So I looked at the owners and I go, okay. So in order for us to put together a good sales and marketing campaign and start capitalizing on the stuff you need to, you got to get with your operations manager and work on the operations and put in better systems and processes. So, you know, the first 90 days we've been working together, that's all we've been doing with. That's amazing. Yeah, great point. Great point. I mean, that's really the key to what I do and how I work with businesses. You know, it's I work with them one-on-one. I've got some group coaching. You know, I do retreats for business owners. I want to get into that. I don't know if you have another slide after this one, but I want to get into the retreats because I think for, for a lot of businesses, and again, this is just my guess, but how many companies have I been in where I'm with their executive team? And the issue oftentimes is, how do you take that leadership team, get them refreshed, right? Get them all seeing the same vision and knowing, like all kind of agreeing on what the next steps are. These retreats that you have, from what I understand, that is very much part of the goal. You bring them all, everybody's kind of together and it's like a two day or how many ever event. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about this. Why don't we stop the screen share and we can just talk. I don't think there's anything in here at value. It's up to you. You're the fisherman. I'm just the guy puking on the side of the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. Let's hope not. I really am that guy. I'm sure I'm getting judged so hard right now. 
But yeah, give me some dramming. Let me just lean over the boat and I'll just puke a lot and you guys will catch a lot of fish. And I may uh, beg you to take me back. No, no, we get 40, 50 miles offshore. That's a long ride back on some of this stuff. No, it is, you know, like depending on where we're going, we're looking at different things. And, you know, I put a lot of custom stuff together. Like I love going to Louisiana. I got a friend of mine, Kevin Beach. He owns a place called Mexican Gulf Fishing Company. And this guy does 13 million a year in revenue as a fishing guy, you know, wow. ain't bad. You know, he's got some really badass boats, but you know, we get there, you know, a day before, you know, we get together, you know, we all drive over to Venice. So it's about a seven hour drive from here. So we're talking and, you know, doing all that. We get down there about two in the afternoon. I generally stay either on a houseboat that's right there at the marina, or we got a couple condos that we rent depending on what, what's available for us. But we sit there, we go to the bar and we watch them start bringing stuff in. And we just start just talking, you know, getting the guys talking, get them out of their normal place, just talking about stuff. So after we watch everybody's the day's catch, we meet up with our captain and we talk about the plan for tomorrow and what we want to be doing and what we're looking at. And we go back and we grill some steaks, smoke some cigars, you know, drink some whiskey and scotch and just talk. You know, it's what's going on in the business. You know, what are three things that you guys feel you need to fix right now, you know, and get these guys talking together. You know, because a lot of times they're all worried about pressure of deadlines and all this stuff. So when you're away fishing, there's no pressure, there's no deadlines. The only deadline is, is we've got to be up at the dock at 530 in the morning. Okay? Sure. So, so don't get too drunk tonight. <laughs> and so we're not chumming. But, you know, we go do that so we're ready to go. You know, and then we go out fishing the next day. And, you know, it's funny is things happen on the boat. I generally go out there with an agenda. And so one of the things I love about it is, it's a tax write-off because it's not entertainment. It's education. And so mm. I actually have a curriculum that you can give to your CPA so you can write this whole trip off for your team. But things happen. Like one of the first trips I took, we were fishing with this guy, Scott. He was a relatively new captain, badass, cool guy. But we're going down the Mississippi River trying to throw for bait. We're throwing cast nets for bait. And we're having a hard time. Everybody else is throwing one or two cast nets, and they're getting it. And one of the other season's captains, Billy, comes around and he goes, hey, man, just move your boat, tilt the angle that you're going down the river about 15 degrees. And I asked Billy, I go, why? He goes, okay, you've got this antenna going up, your outrigger antenna going up, and it's only about this wide, two inches wide, but it's throwing a shadow. And he says, what happens is, is you're ready to throw your cast net. The little bit of the shadow goes across the bait. And what happens is, is the bait is scared of birds. And they can't see birds, they see shadow. Shadow means bad, they dive. We move it, wow. go back, two cast nets, we're gone. So on the way out, the whole discussion was, is, okay, guys, what are your customers seeing from you that you're not expecting that they're seeing? Yeah, I love, I love, love, love this subject because there are so many, I don't want to use the word toxic, but there's like really dumb things that people do. Like, I mean, I'm going to just throw out like a really obvious example. Like how many people right now are using marketing firms on LinkedIn to send out spamish kind of messages? Mm -hmm. There is no way that those canned messages that are puking your value proposition would be even close to the same result of like actually looking at somebody's profile and referencing that you've noticed that they're a professor at Harvard or that they... Uh -huh were a softball coach or something that actually means that you've interpreted what you're saying. 
And those could be the shadows that are scaring the minnows. I had a client today, they just started a new marketing campaign and some pay-per-click stuff. And it was on Google ads. And he goes, the first call we got was a guy that called that saw our Google ads to call us, to sell us new Google ads. And I go, (laughs) what the hell? You just told me right now, I'm never hiring you. You wasted my money to click on my damn Google ad to do this. But you see on LinkedIn all the time, these people send you stuff. And the next thing they're trying to sell you shit. Yeah. Next LinkedIn expert. Dude, it's your 26 year old. You know shit about nothing yet. You know, and you've never even built a business. You've been, you know, you go look at their profile and they've been in business for four months and they're a LinkedIn expert. But this is just a microcosm of what you're talking about. Truly, whether it's from the way you lead your team to the way you are accountable and the way you keep your promises to the way Mm -hmm. that your employees are handling the processes and procedures that you've outlined. Going back to this thing, if nobody's following the direction and even the leadership doesn't know really what direction they're going, it's a mishmash. You're fishing with hot dogs, even though you don't want to. Exactly. You are, you know, everybody's going in a different direction. There's not things that are going on. It's amazing how much I learn about business by reading fishing magazines. It's hilarious. Okay. Let me ask you this about the people part. Mm -hmm. So people who are listening right now, they might be going like, you know, the people think it is this thing where sometimes you have, you know, I'll use a dental analogy, but it's like, sometimes you have some rotten teeth, right? Mm -hmm. You got some rotten teeth and it makes the whole mouth hurt. Are you someone who says, pull the tooth or are you someone that says, Hey, maybe that's a good tooth and you need to just do a little discovery. Like what is your. Sure. It's going back to that Jim Collins analogy. Well, when I got to look at, are they the right person? Are they in the right seat? So there's sometimes we can just change their roles and they'll be good people. But I generally go in and put in a system where as we evaluate them, it's a plus zero and minus. You know, as we evaluate them, if they're getting pluses on everything, they're good. If they're getting a zero, it means we're going to go train them for 30 days and then give them the next 60 days to move to a plus. Mm. If it's a minus, we're going to go train them. We're going to give them two weeks. If they don't move to a zero in two weeks, they're out. That's great. I mean, I say that's great. I just, something I haven't heard before. That's really interesting. Because a lot of times you keep people on and they don't really, they don't want to be there anyways, you know? And Mm -hmm. I had one of my clients, we fired her sister and that did not go over very well. (laughs) Hey, can I say something about this whole teach your business a fish thing? Don't hire Mike if you're wanting to keep your family barbecue fun, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing. But yeah, that could really make the family barbecue a little uncomfortable. But we we did. We fired the sister. (laughs) The sister really didn't want to work there. Eight months later, she got into real estate and she went from being a massage and nail tech, making about $45,000 to $50,000 a year to making a quarter million dollars a year in real estate. She goes, I was afraid to leave the company because I didn't want to let my sister down. See, I love this story. Okay, hey, real quick, because you told me about the fact that you have more women clients Mm -hmm. taking that boat out than anyone. So I'd love for you to just touch on that. I want to talk about the inclusiveness. You're actually having women-filled boats, which I love this. Yeah, but yeah, I've had more women come to me and say, hey, can you do something for us? You know, I'll do things. I've got a friend of mine. She's down in Rockport. Ladies, Sally Black, she's one of the best fly fishing guides, bar none, in the country. She owns a resort down there. Her husband just passed away. 
but they own this resort down in Rockport and they do cast and blast. So we go out in the morning <laughs> and we go fishing for redfish. You know, I'm looking to put together to go fishing for redfish and then go shooting in the afternoon for doves or go duck hunting in the morning. And I talked about it and I've had women's groups come up and say, Hey, can you put together something for us where we may have five or six, seven women business owners? We're all different businesses. Can we put together something so we can all go do this? You know, and I love doing it. I had a real estate firm two years ago hire me to, you know, take them out and they took out a couple of their clients and, you know, we had a great time with them and, you know, did some teaching, did some stuff. So some of my most successful clients are women business owners. And I think they just seem to not question this stuff. They say, okay, let me go try it. You know, I used to work at Orvis, which is a fly fishing place, you know, in the, during the Christmas time, I used to go there to make extra money. And, you know, we'd go teach a woman to fly fish and it's way easier to teach a woman to fly fish than it is to teach a guy. A guy tries to push everything through and fly fishing is all about timing and it's about fluidity and timing. And the women just picked it up easy. It was just very easy for them to get it. But, you know, it's funny. My women business owners, they cuss more than I do. I mean, <laughs> I've been pretty well behaved here, but they cuss more than I do. And they're driven. I mean, they really are driven. You know, I have two daughters, right? To me, you know, the thing about the fishing and everything that you're talking about is that really couples could do this. Teams can do this. Mm -hmm. It's all inclusive. Like anyone gets on that boat. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, fishing is one of those things that the metaphors and the stuff that you've told me, and, and like one of the things that we were talking about the other day was you can't boil the whole ocean, right? And this is yep. stuff that every entrepreneur thinks and every business owner and executive wants to do. They want to win, 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 win. But really, it's having that more detailed focus, deciding what are those niches? Where is that profitability? From an operation standpoint, where is the fat? And that's what you're really doing. And I love how you've explained it. I would encourage anybody that is listening, that's thinking like, hey, maybe I need just a little analysis to figure mm -hmm. out maybe there is no villain but yourself. You know, you watch Star Wars, you got Darth Vader. But what if it's really just the way you're doing business right now that's killing you? You got to learn how to teach your business to fish. Mike, I just want you to tell everybody how to get a hold of you. And we'll close this baby out. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really very appreciative. No, I thank you. I really do appreciate you, Warren, in this. You can reach me by email, michael at teachyourbusinesstofish.com. I got two websites. It's tyb2f.com. That really focuses on the marketing side. My web guy and I, we're working on a new Teach Your Business to Fish website. It'll be done in the next couple of weeks. You know, I've got a snapper trip coming up in June. It's kind of open for business owners just to kind of come out and get to know some stuff. I think we're going to teach on that one a little bit about equipping people and the types of equipment that you use and probably that and connections and understanding the different types of connections that are on the boat. I know I've got two people that are signed up. On that one, I can take five people. We're going to go out. Snapper season is going to be kind of awesome because nobody's been out there on the fish yet and season doesn't open until the 1st of June. So we're going, I think, about the 15th or 16th, something like that. It's a Friday afternoon. So that's just a day trip. We're going to be putting one together to go for tuna over to, to Venice. But I'll do custom stuff for you guys, too. So if you guys want to go somewhere cool, I've got connections in Costa Rica and Belize and Miami. I really want to go up to Queen Charlotte's Lodge in British Columbia to go do this. That's about a $7,000 trip, but it's nice. It's nice. Well, wonderful. So if you're listening and your six-cylinder engine sucks, 
or it's just the way your rod is reflecting in the sun, scaring all the fish away, you better call Mike Rager. And to sign this thing off, if your company has a real solution to a real problem of today, come prove it here on the Pitch Podcast. I'm your host, Warren Spiewak, and I will see you on our next episode. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Warren. I appreciate you. And here's a quick message from Alex on the upcoming events with OGGN. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Check us out next week for another witty and sometimes spicy episode of the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.